Blog Talk Radio. PG or even an R-rated show. So, it's bad language. Bodily function, dirty talk of any kind might offend you. This is not the show for you. But the rest of you know that's what you came for. Desperate House Witches is brought to you by the amazingly wicked one, the incredible Dorothy Morrison. Check out wickedwitchstudios.com for all of your witching needs. If you missed out on the candles, I warned you that you needed to go get them before the end of February. But, okay, there'll, maybe there'll be another chance at some point this year. I don't know. But I'll let you know if there is another chance. Anyway, happy Sunday morning, my little darlings. Guess who I've got with me? The amazing witch, high priestess, author, uh, teacher, amazing, my personal James Bond expert. That's right. The incredible Deborah Lewis is here this morning. Hi, Deborah. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. I'm a little worse for wear after a little Saturday night celebration, but I'm great. (laughs) Oh, were you celebrating the book release? No, I was just celebrating an upcoming full moon, I believe, will be on Monday night. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So, Deborah, you've written so much stuff. I mean, and, like, renowned books, you know, you're known. You're our known author. You have been in the game for many decades. How did we get this old? I'm kidding. We're fabulous. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, but I, you know what, when I read your stuff, it's like, Deborah's been doing this for 30 years, and I'm like, Wait a minute, when did I get that old? Because, you know, we're very close in age. And I'm like, has it it been that long? Holy shit. I'm I'm impressed. (laughs) I will will, segue into what my next project will be for the end of Ah. the year. There will be a release of the Take a Deep Breath 20th Anniversary Edition of Elements of Ritual. Get the fuck out of here. I looked at the books that I'd written and I saw that 20 years was coming up and after, you know, I peeled my jaw off the floor, I reached out to Llewellyn and said, how do we feel about a a new edition? And it's in the works right now. That's awesome. Congratulations on having such longevity in a business that is not easy for anybody. Um, being an author, being a good author, being a celebrated author, having a career that you can look back on and say, hey, why don't we do a, an updated ver-? I mean, that's pretty incredible. Do you ever just stop and say, holy shit, look at what I've accomplished? I'm, I'm proud of myself. I am. I think that, I mean, Elements of Ritual in particular was my first book. And, you know, because I'm snotty, people will come up to me and say, I love your book, and I will say, which one? Because I'm snotty. (laughs) But they always mean elements of ritual because that book made a real difference and continues to make a real difference in people's ability to practice witchcraft. Yeah. You know, and I'm proud of that. And you should be proud of that. It's not snotty at all because... You want to know what the person is specifically talking about because it's nice to know that the things we do in the world actually make an impact. And, you know, sometimes things we do hit different people different ways. So 
it may not be that book. It may be, hey, listen, I'm looking forward to it being Bending the Binary, which is what we're talking about today, polarity magic in a non-binary world. Um, So I have to ask, if for the listeners, please explain what polarity magic is. So if you are trained in any traditional form of Wicca or indeed uh, many other forms of occultism, um, you are taught that there is this thing called polarity and you're supposed to be leveraging that energy at all times. Um, And a lot of times people say gender polarity as as if they're synonyms. And so I became curious as to what was this thing called polarity energy that we were all talking about. How was that expressed in various ways? Anyway, um, I went down a rabbit hole and a book came out. The (laughs) polarity is one of the basic forces of the universe as understood in occultism. People talk about gender polarity, but let's, be clear that gender is a subset. It's one of the ways that polarity exists, right? So the universe is a vast interplay of energy. Creation itself, if if you're a Kabbalist, creation itself happens because polarities interact and create wholeness, right? So there's there's force and then there's form and then the two of them interact and we know that um, and, and force and form are very much in Wicca equated with um, the god as force and the goddess as form. And we know that force is just energy, and energy without form does nothing. It's just energy. It's just chaos. It's just blah, 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 right? Form, on the other hand, without force, just sits there. So it's just a shape with no energy. So in order to drive, you need the form of a car and the force of the gasoline or electricity, right, that powers it. You sure. need both. Right. So yeah. what polarity is is bringing these two polar forces together to create wholeness. And that and that and to create and magic is when Polarity magic is when you are bringing two forces that are polar to each other together in a way that the wholeness is the result of your magic, right? Does that make sense? Right. Are we are we are we Absolutely. following? So yeah. in Wicca we're taught that that gender is like the core of of polarity. And for most people, especially hetero cis people, it's really the easiest, most accessible thing. Oh, look, I have gender. <laughs> look mm-hmm. at that. I just pulled down my pants, and there it is. But um, for, for increased of people, gender isn't working for them, and they think that they're excluded from polarity. Right. And it turns out, not only does it turn out that that's not true, it turns out that historically that was never true that it's relatively recent that that gender yes. became the synchronon of polarity magic. Correct. And this is why I love this book, because after years of, of basically taking shit for being the old-fashioned one, the Gardnerian one, even though, as you know, the, the type of Gardnerianism I was taught we we called ourselves gardenias uh, <laughs> at the point that I I mean that's what he called us so I mean you and you know a lot about who and what I'm talking about because you are very familiar with the person that I was mentored under so right. the, the whole thing about that and why this to me is important is because it released me from the yoke of stereotypical bullshit that Gardnerian Wiccans get slapped with about, oh, you don't accept folks and you are exclusionary and you guys are gatekeepers and you this, that, and the other thing. And what I learned reading the book was, oh, no, 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 no. 
that was put on later. Here's the actual fact that there was a, a huge amount of fluidity that was allowed through the early writings that we just didn't recognize. And thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for writing this book and hopefully not just freeing me, but freeing other people who feel bound by some kind of a bullshit tradition or traditional view of sexuality and gender um, in practicing Gardnerian Wicca. For me, I mean, of course it applies to other uh, magical aspects as well, but on a personal level, this is how your book hit me. So thank you. Oh, well, you're welcome. I mean, that was part of what, you know, the goal was, was that it was important to me. I was also raised very traditional Gardnerian, and, you know, I never wanted to give that up. But what I wanted to find out was could I continue to practice as a traditional Gardnerian and call myself a traditional Gardnerian um, while running like a majority queer coven, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so as a a queer woman myself, married to a non-binary woman, um, I, I wanted a understand if there was a place for us. I think that a lot of people think, oh, well, there's no place for me in any system that uses polarity. I'll go find some tradition that doesn't. And that's fine if that's what they want to do. You know, everybody's like, it's a big, wide-open occult community. Do your thing, right? But but this is one of the core forces of the universe. This is one of the things, one of the heartbeats that keeps creation going. So maybe you would like to leverage this energy if only there was room for you. And what I found out was, oh, my God, there's so much room for you. Yes, which is wonderful. Because I hated hated being in a system or identified in a system that, you know, being bisexual or pansexual, actually, as I've come to learn, um, you wonder if if spaces are still there for you as you evolve and change, as people are supposed to do. Um, and I I found a lot of comfort knowing that the tradition I was raised in is still okay for me, um, and that I don't have to be ashamed of it because there were there were points over the last 15 years where people, you know, were very judgmental of the, you know, well, how can you be for these people and all these people if this is the magic you practice? And I, I'm like, it was never intended to exclude, certainly not the way I came up with it. I wasn't taught right. to exclude anyone for any reason. Nor would I. So I did have some, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I struggled with it, you know, for a while and and self-acceptance and how I practice and what, you know, some older, older than us, obviously, uh, specifically Gartnerian Wiccans had a lot to say about, well, you know, the old ways are the only ways. And I'm like, nah, that's not where we're going. That's not what it's supposed to be. You know, a practice dies if you don't include people. So, you know, this book, I think, is going to be instrumental. Thank you. I mean, there there are definitely, look, there are bigots in the occult community, in Gardnerian and and all sorts of practices. Um, Isaac Bonowitz used to say that in some religions, bigotry is required, and in in paganism, it's just another exciting option. (laughs) I mean, you can... (laughs) If you want to be homophobic and transphobic and, and, you know, an asshole, you can be. That's your choice. But, the, but, but occultism doesn't require it. And, and one of the things that's very clear is that some of the rules that emerged as to how polarity should be practiced emerged in the Victorian era. And you know what the Victorians were? They were Victorian. You know, we <laughs> refer to Victorian for a reason. <laughs> like, uh-huh. Yeah. They, you know, 
it wasn't, they took polarity magic and they overlaid their Victorian values on it. And when we inherit that, we should look at which parts we're, are actually the magic. You know, otherwise, like, what are we doing? Exactly. No, it's a fact. So I'm, I mean, I'm concerned about people that don't want to look past, you know, there's, there, for some reason, and maybe you can explain this to me, because I haven't found a really good explanation. For some reason, things only seem to get credence when they are, quote, unquote, the old or original way. I don't understand. I mean, I understand the need for tradition. I get that. But to hold on to it as an excuse to continue to propagate bullshit rhetoric about people that are, quote, unquote, not like you. Um, and I'm talking about the heteronormative cis-identifying. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Why, why, why is it so necessary to identify yourself as being the real thing if you only do it the old way? What is that, what is that fantasy about? Well, some of it comes from fear, obviously, and some of it comes from the fear that you yourself are not good enough. Like, you bolster what you're doing with tradition. Some of it comes from love. I love this tradition and I, don't, and, I, and I want to protect it. And that happens, again, you and I are Gardnerians, but that is all across occultism. I love what I'm doing. Don't, don't fuck with me, basically. And I'm going to draw a circle around it and say, this is the thing, and don't touch it. But that can lead to bad behaviors. But, but one of the things that's super interesting is the traditions just, like, aren't necessarily traditional. It's so funny how quickly something becomes traditional. I have been invited to rituals where the people were like, this is the traditional way. This is how we do this. And I'll, I'm like, guys, I wrote this ritual. Yeah. Like, Oh, it takes like two years for something to become traditional. It, it, like, okay, here's like a crazy example. Diamond engagement rings. They are traditional, right? And diamond is the traditional gem for an engagement ring. Turns out that was a marketing campaign um, by De Beers in the 1930s. And they got some Hollywood producers involved in the, you know, to, to have engagements happen with diamond rings in movies. It took no time at all for people to think that's how it's always been done. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's all yep. kinds of things that we do that are not how it's always been done. Um, Yep. And we think it's how it's always been done, but it takes no time at all for us to uh, think of something as traditional. So that's why looking at the history and sort of taking a deep breath, I get the protectiveness of tradition. You know, whether it's how your family does Thanksgiving or whether it's your occult practice, people are protective of the tradition and and I get that. I'm like I'm a Taurus, you know. I I mm -hmm. with, a, with, a Cap, with a Capricorn moon. I want things to be the way they are. I'm very <laughs> appreciative of when people feel that way and when people are act like that because I am that person. That doesn't mean you have to be an asshole about it, and that doesn't mean you can't bring your brain into the situation and go, okay, what's really going on here? Do I, what does protecting tradition mean? Um, what, what does it entail? Is this, in fact, traditional? How long has it been traditional, and what am I getting out of it? Those are good questions. They are. I don't think they're questions that people are asking, though. Not really. I think a lot of people, well, there are some people who are thinking about those things. I think a lot of people are just like, this is the way I do it, therefore it's the right thing, and that's it. And that's where I have the problem. 
and and there's there's a there's a definite um privilege associated with being cis hetero in that in in magic in that there's several different kinds of magic that can happen all at once right like you if you're if you're a um cis woman in a relationship with a cis man doing magic together you don't have to sit down and ask yourself well which part of this magic is polarity which part of this magic is fertility which part of this magic is erotic because they all sort of happen at the same time but if you want to work say gender polarity and you're gay then you don't have the erotic energy with your with your opposite sex partner so you're just working the polarity so now you're going to go okay I'm only working polarity and I'm not working erotic energy so what's that energy? Let me examine that energy. Now let's switch it up and work with my same-sex partner. Now I'm working erotic, but I'm told that I'm not working polarity, but I'm working, but I'm not working gender polarity. So what's that energy? So once you're not in that um, heteronormative majority, you sort of have to tease out the bits and pieces of the magic. And my thinking is that that examination is valuable for everybody even if if you know you are the straightest person who ever straighted like it's valuable to look at the energies you're working with and figuring out what they are absolutely but it's also i think important not just in in relationship to working with more than one person but especially for the solitary practitioner to be able to call on those energies in your own self without another person needing to be there. And I, I found a wonderful, oh, an absolutely wonderful quote that I include in the book by a student of um, the unfortunate, where he basically says that, you know, a really enlightened person, a really, you know, a really good magician should be able to work polarity by themselves. And the only reason to work with a partner is to kind of get yourself there, you know, to where you recognize yeah. that polarity isn't about the other person. I do provide exercises for solitaries throughout the book so that you can find, and there are certain kinds of polarities that are easier for a solitary to work with. Uh-huh. Uh, like there are certain things that we do, like activity and passivity, right? We do that all the time as individual humans. We, Absolutely. We, we, we get ourselves into a flurry of activity, and then we're like, wait a minute, I need a break, I need a rest. That sounds yep. very ordinary. That doesn't sound magical. But activity and passivity are, in fact, polar energies that fuel the universe, so, and, and, and those are the ones, the, that energy, I think, is one of the most accessible to a solitary because you're doing it anyway in your ordinary day-to-day life. So, wait, let me back up. I never said what is polarity. Oh, okay, no, no that was me. That was me with my mouth. Um, so, I, I feel like most people who write books, they're, they're introverted people who want to sit at home and write their books, and I'm not that guy. I love to talk about my stuff, and, and I chatter too much. So that's why we have fun. Um, yeah, so what I is polarity? It. Polarity isn't just any two things, and it's not just opposites. Polarity is two things that exist in a, on a pole, right, at, at ends of a pole, and that they create energy when they interact. So, like... There's interesting things about a pole, right? First of all, the pole always implies that there's a space between. So there's a north pole and a south pole. There's also an equator. So when you perceive yourself as working with polarity, doesn't mean you have to be on one end or the other. But if you're working with an energy, you do want to look at the ends of the poles and say, what are these two things doing? Right? So yeah. 
active and passive. There's different levels. We're not all either completely still or in a frenzy of activity. It's polar. But activity without passivity burns out, right? It, mm-hmm. it, it blows itself up. Passivity without activity does nothing. It just sits there. So the two, these are two energies that need each other and that only by bringing them together in some ways it can, can actual creation and magic happen. And that's the essence of polarity. Essence of polarity is that the poles seek towards each other for creation. Which is now perfect because it doesn't bring gender into it. See, but that's the thing. That's why I love this book because you can do all of this and not have it be gender specific in any way, shape, or form. And I think that's where people get super duper confused. And I'll tell you something else. If you look at your rituals, rituals that you inherited from whatever tradition you're a part of, like mm-hmm. even in Salima, for example, like any tradition, um, and you look at how it's written at, for male and female, start asking yourself, what is it doing? Like why is it male and female? Um, what polarity is it expressing? Now, maybe it's not a polarity ritual at all. One of the things that surprised me um, when I was doing the historical research is that a lot of sex magic rituals have nothing to do with polarity. They're really just about the sex and the procreation, and they they really uh-huh. aren't talking about polarity. There's no con- conception of that energy in, like, say, the ancient Sumerian hieroschemos. It's out there. So if what you're doing is reproduction, um, you definitely are better off with, with a heterosexual couple, like, or a turkey baster, but usually a heterosexual couple. Um, <laughs> but, but if it's not a sex fertility, there, there's also other forms of fertility, right? Like not every species mm-hmm. reproduces heterosexually. But let's set that aside. Now we're down in the weeds. Let's just say that you're doing something in a Wiccan ritual and there's a priestess and there's a priest. And the priestess does certain things and the priest does certain other things. And those are the rules. What are they doing? Is it really that she's female and he's male? Or is it that she's representing um, form and he's representing force? For example... 90% of the time in modern occultism, it's a force-form thing because most of modern Western occultism, setting aside the grimoire tradition and uh, like uh, the Greek magical papyri and that stuff, set that aside. Mm -hmm. Most of what we inherit from um, Western occultism comes through the occult revival of the end of the 19th century and all of that was deeply Kabbalistic, and what they were talking about in polarity was almost always force and form, sometimes passive and active. So now, look at whatever ritual you're doing and pretend that um, everything that says he and she instead says force and form, or yes, force and form, force is he. Um, and so does that make sense? Is that how the energy is flowing? Oh, no, maybe it's not force and form. Let's try some other polarity. There's usually something, unless they're actually having sex, um, mm-hmm. there's usually something underlying it energetically that comes from some other polarity, and it's just being represented by a person who is male and a person who is female. And if you want to keep representing it that way, you know, you go. But but that's probably not, you know, the underlying causality. And it's not something most people think about. It's not, I mean, I hadn't thought about it that way, um, which is why, another reason why this book is important, because 
I was raised the way I was raised and didn't really give it a whole lot of thought, but life evolves and people evolve and things change. And, you know, now that people are becoming freer to be who they are, it's important to understand that there are spaces for everybody um, where they want and deserve to be whenever they want or, or feel that they need to be. I mean, for most of us and for most of our history, like, gender wasn't something we had to think about. So I could go and do my rituals and go, doop, 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 I'm a cis woman. Look, I have all the woman body parts. I feel like a woman. I am a woman. I dress like a woman. I wear really fabulous makeup. So obviously, um, I can do all the priestess things, right? And I don't have to think about all the polarity that I'm, I'm bringing into it. I just represent it through my gender. And I, but I can choose to think about it and like really expand my own personal power. The other thing is, I, I mean, and like I will continue to do that. I will continue to to function as a priestess in my coven. Um, oh, but the other thing is that, and I deal with this in the book, and I define all the, um, you know, the alphabet soup. In, in the book, yeah. because some people are just really, including like some queer people, like old school queer people are like, where'd all the other letter, letters come from? I'm just gay. Like I've been, <laughs> I've been gay for 40 years. Where'd all these other letters come from? So like it's useful to, you know, drill that down. Um, and I talk about the science, and I talk about the science of, of gender and, and stuff. Yeah. You know, not so much science that you're going to hate me for making you do homework, but enough science <laughs> so that there's some understanding of what we're talking about. Um, but once I get to the science of gender, then we're done with talking about body parts because Right. Trans women are women, and trans men are men, and I don't have to look in your pants. If you're going to stand up and tell me that you are a high priest because you are male, I have no business looking in your pants, to be sure. Exactly. <laughs> if we're not fucking, why do I care? That's it. And even if we are fucking, I usually don't care then either. I mean, it's and I, uh, just saying. Right. right. Because silicon <laughs> is good. But, 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 like, even in, even if, I mean, some people have, and I've heard people say this, like, but what if you're in a sky-clad ritual? Because some traditions are sky-clad. And then you can see the naked body parts that don't necessarily match the stated gender. And my answer to that is you're working magic between the worlds, and you can't get past the physical thing you see? What are you even doing? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's between the worlds, not between your legs. Come on. <laughs> this is a hyper-focusing issue. That's the problem. Right, right, yeah. Eyes up. Eyes up. <laughs> My eyes are over here, buddy. <laughs> yep, I'm up here. <laughs> exactly. But I think people are still struggling to get through to looking at people instead of parts. I mean, as as my mentor used to say, parts is whatever. <laughs> and that, so yeah, so there's you know, doesn't matter. So so partly, this book is for queer people so that they understand themselves to be included in this wonderful, wonderful energy. Partly, this book uh-huh. is for people who just want to educate themselves. Um, I know, like straight people who want to be more inclusive of queer people in their groups. But yeah. but also, partly this book is for all of us because everybody in Western occultism has been told that there's a thing called polarity and you have to do it. And it hasn't been examined more deeply than that most of the time. Yep. That's what I'm saying. You know, and then I, I, I started adding rituals to the book. Like, I originally it was just like this theory, you know, because I'm, you hear how my mouth goes. I'm just a talker. I like to write down all the ideas. But then I started adding rituals to the book. There is at least, there, there's, I, I identify what I think of as, as six large cosmic polarities. 
Um, uh-huh. And then I do rituals for at least one ritual per each, in, including several solitary rituals. So you've got a group, you want to do okay. some stuff, you've got tools to do it with, you've got ideas. Like I, I, I try to be as empowering to the reader, take this book and run with it. Yeah. Wonderful. So why did you decide, when, did, when and how did you decide to actually write this? Oh, this book has been bugging me. I tried to write this book for over 10 years. And oh, no kidding. I, I mean, I have so many outlines that do not in any way resemble what the final book was. Like, I started, right. like, I, I mean, I just was interested in this idea of clarity. What is it? How does it express itself? Um, I mean, and, you know, like a lot of queers I went through, the I'm not queer enough to write this. Like, shouldn't this be written by somebody gayer than me? Um, so at one point, it was going to be like a collaborative effort with some other people. Um, my spouse was actually involved with it when we were just friends before we started dating. That's how long ago it was. Um, wow. And, and I, w- I just kept struggling with how do I write this? What is it? And um, then I guess a year ago, a year ago, somewhere during COVID, you know, in that blurry period where time stops, um, yeah. I wrote a book called The Beginner's Guide to the Occult. And it was, I'm very proud of that little book because... It's a great book. <laughs> thank you. It's, there's there, there's just no such, there's just no such thing as a beginner's guide to the occult, right? There, there's just no... All of these subject matters are mostly like, how dare you be a beginner? Here's the most esoteric, difficult book on the subject. Work your way through. Exactly. And, you know, so, so the idea of, of creating a beginner's guide was incredibly appealing to me. I mean, I was, I was hired to write it, so it wasn't my idea. But I was captivated by the idea, and I got really into it. Anyway, I wrote a chapter in the book on alchemy. And that was the most difficult thing I've ever written in my life. I would rather get a PhD. I, I mean, it oh, was so, <laughs> alchemy is so hard. And I made it easy. But I actually, I kept, you know, I was working with an editor, and she's like, chapter one, here's the deadline. Chapter two, here's the deadline. And I kept running three weeks ahead of my deadline. And she's like, I don't care how early you deliver this. I can't get to it, you know, so I'm like, don't worry, I'm just delivering these three weeks ahead on every chapter, um, and then I got to alchemy, and I used up all of that extra time. That's how hard that was. I, in fact, I delivered like two or three days late. I mean, I just completely blew out all the available time because I didn't understand it. It was really hard. You're reading really esoteric material. Alchemy is designed to be obscure. There's actually a Latin term in alchemy for, um, I, I forget what it is, but it's that we've written this obscurely on purpose in order to fuck with your head. It's what it roughly translates as. Um, <laughs> that, that would be like not a literal translation. But... Alchemy turns out to be the key to the whole thing. So what is alchemy? Alchemy is taking apart various substances, figuring out which of them are true. And by various substances, I mean anything from a plant to lead to the human soul. Um, taking it apart, so let's say it's lead. You're in a lab and you're, you're doing things to it that involve chemicals and fire and really scary shit. And um, you're taking it apart. You're figuring about which parts are, are dross, which parts are garbage, and which parts are the pure essence. And then when you are convinced that you have the pure essence, you are using a chemical process to recombine it. Solve et coagula dissolve, take apart, and bring back together. Well, 
That sounds like transition. That sounds like gender transition. That process, take it apart, wow. throw away everything that isn't yep. me, and bring me back together. So I reached out to the great and famous and awe-inspiring Rachel Pollack, who is a trans woman, and I said to her, she's also the person who created the first transgender comic book character and named that comic book character Coagula. And I reached out to her and I said, did you name this character Coagula because alchemy is analogous to transition? And she said, well, I don't remember why I gave her that name, but you can go with that because that's really perfect. And I was like, Rachel Pollack said the word perfect about me. I, I can die happy. Um, Yay! What, right? But <laughs> alchemy is, is like the root core of Western magic. It's, it's, it, it goes back to uh, 300 BCE. Like, well, that's where the first writings go back to. It's actually older than that. It's, it, it's at the core of hermetics, right? And, and it's fundamentally about taking things apart, breaking them into their polar opposites, purifying them, and then bringing back, them back together because polar things are not perfected until they're united because all separation is illusion. So now I have some core concepts, which is, queer and transformational and at the root of everything we know about polarity and everything we know about polarity grows out of a study of alchemy and all of a sudden I was like, I can do this. I, I, can, I can understand this. I can write it. I can you know, whoa, like I could do it. And, and it was just, it was, it was such a breakthrough. So once I had alchemy, then the next thing was Kabbalah. And as it happens for the past three years, I have taken on the study of Kabbalah as a hobby. I don't know. You get old enough in the occult, you decide you need to learn something new and torture yourself with some new study. So everything... <laughs> Everything in, in the history of polarity that isn't in alchemy is in Kabbalah. So between the two, all of a sudden, I had the tools that I needed to write the book. And all of a sudden, I, I knew that I could write it. And like then the outline just sort of emerged. All of my books do this. The outline comes whole out of my head like, like Athena out of, out, of, out of the skull of Zeus. Just boom. Like, once I'm ready to write the book, the whole thing was just, look, there's the book. And, um, and then God bless the people at Llewellyn because <laughs> I delivered the book and they said, you know, it, it just sort of trails off and ends. You really need a section three. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> so I asked, you're right. <laughs> They're really, really good. They really are good <laughs> editors. They really they look at the book and they go, oh, well, you know, here's the thing that's wrong with this. And you go, oh, oh you're right. <laughs> oh, wow. I just so, I'm not a writer. Yeah. 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 That's I a very long story. I'll bet it is, but my gosh. I See, this is why, I, you know, it's like, well, why don't you write a book? No. Nope. No, I've seen what writers have to go through, and the answer to that is no. <laughs> the first, I mean, the thing is it gets harder the more books you write. Like, a lot of people have one book in them. Um, yeah. but, then, but then, you know, and then, like, while I was writing Elements of Ritual, the way of four started tickling the back of my head. By the time I had finished Elements of Ritual, I was really ready to write The Way of Four. And about three quarters of the way through The Way of Four, The Way of Four Spellbook, which will now be called The Magic of the Elements, sort of came to me. So, like, you know, you have some things that are just in your head that you could just open your mouth and talk about. 
But then that was it. Then, you know, at some point you start burning, oh, like any book I write now, I'm going to actually have to work at. (laughs) (laughs) You're hilarious. So, in essence, what we're saying here is Deborah Lip is doing the work so we don't have to uh, because I can't even imagine how much, well, I mean, let's face it, the level of research that you've put into all of your books is beyond the norm of what most folks are able to do. And, you know, and I think that's a lot of the time why writers do write, especially successful ones, because they are willing to put in PhD-level work so that my happy dumbass doesn't have to. And I'm appreciative of that. Um, (laughs) Well, you're welcome. Well, I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of writers now, as, as we've discussed before, back in our day, there weren't that many and there wasn't always access. Um, not like it is now where, you know, folks can just write. And I, I'm, I am not nearly smart enough or talented enough to do that. Um, but it's good to have credible writers. It's good to have people who you can rely on to put in actual work to get actual information. I just feel like we're inundated with so many things that are, that fall under the category of fake news. And I just want you to know how much I love and respect you for the work you have put in and continue to put in uh, to make sure that we're getting good and right information and, and new ways to look at things where there was a gaping hole for folks who don't identify a certain kind of way. And it's important. The work is important and continue to do it. So thank you. I, I, I appreciate you saying that. I also like, feel like sometimes the more information isn't necessarily helpful. Like when you and I were young, there were like 20 books out there. And now there's hundreds, yep. but so many of them are garbage. So now, in some ways, it's even harder because now you have to try to figure out, like, where is the good information? And kids, it's not on TikTok. (laughs) I don't know enough about TikTok to be dangerous because I'm not on TikTok. (laughs) I I think I have a quote, not a quote, I have an account on TikTok, but I have never used it. I have never created a talk or a tick. Um, at my age, I'm trying to avoid ticks and talks, um, but it's fun to watch the videos. I don't know. Maybe one day if I retire, I will actually learn or somebody will have the patience to teach me how to use this thing. But until then, eh, no, I'm just an observer. Yeah, I'm. It's it, the problem is that you, you're just never going to really learn much in 30-second chunks. You just aren't. And not in not in occultism. So um, I'm still gonna. I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm trying to be more active on social and trying to like be more active on Instagram and stuff because um, I want to communicate with people where they are. That's part of what being a writer is. But I'm going to continue to write books. What's going to continue to come out of me is books. That's. What matters to me, that's how I communicate. And, and also, like, it's, it's what you said. There's, there isn't access to lots of information. Like, before I wrote Elements of Ritual, there wasn't access to more than very rudimentary cast a circle. There wasn't things like, well, why do you cast a circle? And how do you cast a circle? And exactly how do you cast a circle? And what do you do about melted wax? And, like... Like anything, mm-hmm. like it just wasn't. I just I'm 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 editing the new edition of Elements of Ritual, and like I've got like two paragraphs on how to get melted wax off of all your furniture. It's just you know from the most you know obscure mystical meditations to the really practical stuff. It just wasn't available, and it it matters to me that people yeah. have access. Access. That and I mean, that's yeah, what amazing. sending the binary is. 
Yeah. It's more and access it's, to it's, more good occult information. And and more access for more people. Always what yeah. I tell you guys, so important, a practice that doesn't grow or change dies. But the beautiful thing about this is that existing stuff that we've been practicing is limited by the people, not by the magic itself. Uh, and this book proves that and, and brings many examples of that. So I heartily recommend it was just released. Go get you a copy. It is called Bending the Binary, Polarity Magic in a, nine, in a Non-Binary World. I'm telling you, it, this book is good for your own practice. It doesn't matter if you're gendered, non-gendered. It doesn't matter. This book will give you a different outlook on magic and how to use it. Deborah, how can people find you? I, I know I was keeping you from something this morning, and I so appreciate that you took the time to be on with me. But real quick, tell folks how they can find you. Um, I have a website, which is DebraLips.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at DebLipAuthor, so DebLipAuthor. Um, the book is available, all my books are available on Amazon. If you hate Amazon because they've taken over the world and you don't want to participate in that, you can also um, find my books on bookshops.org, which is a wonderful organization that contributes to independent bookstores with every sale. Um, and I'm all, I've also got... Um, a new edition of The Way of Four that is coming out with Crossed Crow Books. So you can look up Crossed Crow Books as well. So will you come back for the 20th anniversary of the Elements of Ritual? You couldn't stop me. Yay! Fantastic. Deborah, <laughs> everybody. Deborah, thank you so much. I hope you have a most wonderful day. Thank you for writing a most, another most wonderful book. I really appreciate it. Thank you. you. Thank you for having me. Always. always Have a wonderful rest of your Sunday. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, my guys. I will see you on Wednesday. Ah, I will see you Wednesday. There is a show happening on Wednesday. Wednesday and Thursday of this week, I believe. I'm going to have to check the schedule just like you guys do. But again, bending the binary, read it. It'll, it'll change a lot of the things you didn't really think about if you're an older uh, witchcraft-using person. Uh, it's got a lot of insight about how maybe we've been thinking about things in one way, but it's a whole lot bigger than that. Um, yeah, so it kind of blew my mind. I was a author. Um, anyway. Have a wonderful Sunday, my friends. I will see you Wednesday. Bye.